Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see each and every one of you. I'm so thankful for you today. I'm so thankful you're continuing uh, in this series with me today. We're nearing the end. These next these next two Sundays, I got to admit, are going to be a doozy. So I would encourage you to stick around. The book of Judges ends in the weirdest of, of things. I mean, there's, those are some tough times in Israel. And I'm going to do my best to see what the Lord has to teach us in them. I would say this is maybe the last of the somewhat easy ones, if, if any of them are easy. Uh, but, but one of the last of those. This is the final, the finale, if you will, of Samson's quest, fa- Samson's endeavors. One of the famous, most famous, if you will, people of the Bible bar. Jesus himself. Samson's probably in the top three. He's well known throughout the world. And, and we're going to see today part of those reasons why he, he does some incredible things, things that are legendary. But also God is doing the most important character in even Samson's story is what God's doing behind the scenes. The same is true for us. Uh, and maybe more than any other character in Scripture, I might argue, Samson points to Jesus maybe more than any other. And that was something I kind of observed this week that was new to me. And I think you'll see that too as we dig in together. I've titled this sermon, Blind But Now I See. Probably brings a song to mind for each of you. I'm, I'm sad to say we're not singing that together today. You could sing it on the way out though. You know the words. Go right ahead. Blind But Now I See. That's the story of Samson. Samson is a man empowered by God with miraculous strength. But like so many people, perhaps even you today, that have it all together on the outside, it's an absolute mess on the inside. Absolute mess. He's so strong outwardly, but so weak inwardly. Instead of living for God, who had blessed him with all these many gifts he has, he squanders his strength doing what is right in his own eyes. The, the narrator of Judges, who I think is most likely Samuel, who comes later, um, he does so well in, in giving you this picture throughout Judges. The, the problem with Samson, just like the problem with Israel, is they just do what is right in their own eyes. Whatever they want to do, they do. They, they don't ever seem to take a pause and say, but what does God want for me? And Samson is, is one of the best pictures of that. Judges chapter 17, verse 6, as well as Judges 21, 25, reiterate this truth. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the problem with Israel. That's the problem with us. There actually is a king. We just don't observe him sometimes. So how... How will God keep his promise? How, how are we going to see this thing unpack? Well, I'm going to give you kind of a little bit of what's coming. He's going to be humbled. He's going to be humbled in order to finally see God. In order to finally look up, he's going to have to be greatly humbled. The question then for you personally is, what about me? What, what is it going to take for me to fully turn to God? Maybe, maybe you've said, you know... I'm yours, the Lord, and and I'm going to give you this piece, but I wonder if there's some parts you've been withholding. I'll give you this much, but if I give you this, God, I know you might monkey with it, and I just don't know if I want to give you that piece. And I I can confidently say to you, if you give it to God, He is going to monkey with it, and, and it's going to be for your good, because that thing there that you think is helping you is probably the the very thing that's stealing your peace and joy. It's the very thing that's robbing you of what God's already working out in your life. And so what will it look like to fully make Jesus Lord of all? Not just Lord of a few things, but Lord of all. Do you outwardly have it all together? (laughs) Maybe you've got the, the right job, got a nice house. If anybody was peering into your life, they'd say, man, He's got everything. She's got everything. The perfect spouse, all those kids, they seem well behaved. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but from what we can tell, they seem like really great kids, and they're doing well in school, and it seems like, you know, they even keep their yard tidy. I mean, they've got it together, white picket fences, everything looks good, and yet you know the truth that what's going on inside the house sometimes is, is a disaster. What's going on in your own heart at times is a real big mess. And that's so many of us. (laughs) Sometimes we have all this nice stuff, but we have a really nice debt to back it up. We have credit card debt coming out of our ears because, yeah, I've got good-looking things. I've got cool toys, but I have no peace because I don't know where the next meal's coming from. I've hurt myself so bad. 
Like Samson, I wonder, have you forgotten God in all of this? I love what the Puritan minister John Flavel, I don't think I've ever quoted him before, but he said, outward gains are ordinarily attended with inward losses. Outward gains are ordinarily attended with inward losses. Therefore, he says, stay humble and watchful in your prosperity. Now, I would argue this, the opposite is also true. I think he does go on to argue that, that, some, that often outward losses can provide room for inward gain. Inward gain. And that's what we're going to see with Samson. Now, God's allowing Samson to suffer some incredible outward losses, but he's going to discover God. And there's no greater gain. He's going to discover, you know what? The power I've always had was never mine. It was always from him. And that's the thing we too can discover. As we dig into Judges 16, we're going to read chapter 16 together. We're going to see God revealing himself to us. Revealing himself first to Samson. And especially as he answers Samson's humble prayer right here at the end of the text. We too can humbly seek God and see him revealing himself to us. I think the text is going to give three really clear truths as we dig in specifically to this final prayer of Samson. So let's dig in. Here's the story of Samson's end. This is amazing stuff. Stuff that you would enjoy reading to your children. Maybe it's a little bit R-rated at moments, but hey, it's okay. Chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute. This part's a little odd. And he went into her. Thank you, Bible, for not being overly specific there. The Gazites were told then, Samson has come here. Now, I want you to know something. Gaza's way on the Mediterranean coast, way far away from where Samson should be. He is such a terror that he's just roaming through Philistine cities, and they don't know what to do about it. Just one dude. He's a problem. So they find out he's here, and here's what they do. They surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now this is one of the most amazing feats in the whole Bible. Bar the very resurrection of Jesus, this is incredible. I just want to give you a little bit of detail. Well, actually, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll read the rest of the story. I got tons. That, that impressed me as I studied that this week. Verse 4, it says, Then he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. We know her name too, don't we? And the lords of the Philistines came up. They came up to her and they said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to... Humble him, okay? And we will each give you 1,100, 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. So Samson had said to her, Well, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak. And be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to them, The Philistines, or said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Not even to him, I would argue. Verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me. You have told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. This is the weirdest romantic interplay I think that exists. I I don't understand Samson, but hey. He really likes to toy around. He loves riddles. I think he's confident at this point that his strength is his own. I think he's lost his way. He thinks there's nothing that can stop me, so I'll keep goofing off with this woman and make her... You know, to be honest, sometimes we as husbands just like to frustrate our wives. I don't know why we do this, but we do it sometimes. All of you men in the room, you're shaking your head, I never do it, you're lying. I know you do it. Because it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. And they frustrate us. I swear they do it back, but they say they wouldn't, but I know they do. Anyway, this is what I think he's doing. He's toying with her. It's fun for him. 
So he says, behold, you mock me. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, she should have known better because they already tried this and it didn't work. And he beat a bunch of people up with the jawbone of a donkey. Same story. But here she tries it again. So Delilah, verse 12, took new ropes and bound him with them and said to, to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and you have told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, Well, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten them tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into, into the web. So this is one of those looms. She's weaving it actually into one of these looms that they used to make garments and, and carpets and things with. He's a deep sleeper too, apparently. Holy moly. And she made them tight with the pen and said to him, Hey, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away from the pen the loom and the web. Apparently the dude's got a strong, tough scalp too. Verse 15, this is where the story turns. She does him, if you'll read back to how his first fiancée treated him, she does to him what she did. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Wow. And he told her all his heart. He said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines, they came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Wow, they were confident this time. She, she made him to sleep on her knees, and she called a man and, and, he, and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And, it, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That's a troubling sentence. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison like a donkey going around. But the hair of his head, verse 22 is a great indicator of what is to come. The hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Let's finish this chapter. Now the lords of the Philistines then gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And to rejoice, they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravenger of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Hey, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison. And he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All, all the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord, and don't miss this church, his last prayer has so much to offer us today. O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rests. He leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed his, during his entire life. 
Then his brothers and all of his family came down and took him and brought him and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. How does this reveal something about God? How, how is God here revealing himself to us who humbly seek him? Here's the first. He shows his faithfulness. Now, I know this is, this is a little tricky to see as we weave our way through this story. But these, I'm going to use the prayer of Samson really as the three perspectives from God here. The first thing that Samson says in his final prayer is, remember me. Remember me. I would encourage you to read through the Psalms again if you haven't done it recently. I just finished through the Psalms once more this past month. And that terminology, remember me, is all throughout there. This is the heart of the believers. God, be with me. Draw near to me. Remember me in my trial. Remember me on the mountaintop. God, be with me. Be near me. That is, it should be a theme in your own life. And it shows also just how far Samson has come. That this outward terrible thing has caused him to finally see God. He's blind to the world, but he finally sees the Lord. He says, remember me. Judges chapter 8 tells us that this is, this is the nature of the people of Israel. This is their problem. It says, they did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. It wasn't that God had forgotten Samson. It's that Samson had forgotten God. This remains true in your life, my friend. If he feels distant, if he seems distant, it's because of a season more than, more than anything that you've been distant from him. And if there's other reasons he might be distant, I wonder if there's sin in your camp, if there's something wrong that he's trying to reach towards and say, hey, let's, let's deal with this. For the first time, Samson's words, he starts the prayer this way. This is one of the better ways to start a prayer that you can do. He says, Lord God, this is Adonai Yahweh. He's never said anything like that before. His first prayer, in fact, if you go back to the previous chapter, he's like, I just killed all these people, God, and I'm thirsty, and I'm going to die of thirst, and you're handing me over to these, these awful Philistines. That's the way he prayed. Like demanding, God, give me water or I will die. And God is so gracious to Samson. He doesn't treat us all the same. He knows uniquely how to work with each and every one of us and how to shape us and mold us and make us have a greater character. For some reason, he just pours out water for Samson in this moment. But then at the end here, he has... He allows his eyes to be gouged out. He allows terrible things to occur so that finally the man cries, Lord God. Now this story begins with some fascinating things. And I just want you to see God's faithfulness even in these things. That the story of Samson is all about God's faithfulness in spite of Samson's complete unfaithfulness to him. You know what God has promised? Let's not forget it. Here's how we know God is faithful. He comes to Manoah and his wife and he says, I'm going to begin to rescue my people. And he's faithful to that promise through and through. Even though Samson appears to be a spoiled boy and a spoiled man and a man who gets whatever he wants whenever he wants. He's more powerful than everybody else. He's apparently pretty good with riddles too. He's messing with foreign women and, and, and carrying on and... God allows that for a season. It makes you sometimes question when people are highly successful, even though you're like, they don't, seem to be, they don't seem to be following the Lord. They don't seem to be doing what is right, God. Why do you allow blessing in their life? Samson's kind of one of those stories, but understand this. God has a bigger story to tell, and it often will end in a tremendous downfall of someone like this. A tremendous downfall for Samson. But here's what he does first. He does this amazing, cool thing. I couldn't help but get bumped up thinking about this this week. Yeah, he's in Gaza for all the wrong reasons. Let's just go ahead and admit that. What is he doing down there? He shouldn't be there, and he certainly shouldn't be doing what he's doing. It's a problem. They lay in wait. They're attempting to deal with him. And it's no wonder that it's here in Gaza that God begins this final, this finale of a story, because that's where the main capital seems to be in ancient Philistine. In ancient Philistia. This is where all the lords gather here in the end, is in Gaza. And it's in that very place that Samson wakes up at midnight when they're laying in wait to do something awful to him. He wakes up at midnight, walks past probably four to six guard posts. Because if you go back and look at archaeological digs on these ancient cities, there's going to be guard posts right at the gate. And there's going to be a gate that people argue is 
anywhere between four tons and ten tons. So if you have some kind of like door in mind as you picture Samson approaching the gate and yanking the door off the hinges, that would be cool. But that ain't what he did. He yanked a, 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 door, a gate down that was at a minimum 10 feet tall, 10 feet wide, at a minimum, and at a minimum four tons. Now, I had to look this up this week. The Guinness Book of World Records for like a power clean is less than a ton, just so you know. And that's impressive. The dude that did that had no neck and had like his whole body just looked like... <sighs> Samson, who knows? He may have not even looked absurdly muscular. I like to picture him as some kind of buff wild man, but, that, but who knows? He comes, he might have looked like Jomo. That'd be awesome to see you yank a gate down with your skinny self. He just walks right up, picks up this massive thing, yanks it off the hinges. To me, some people would argue God put the, the guards to sleep or something here. I think not. I think they saw him walk up and yank that gate down and said, not today. He can have that. I ain't trying to deal with him. That's not where he stops. That would be enough for me to go, wow, this guy's beyond strong. This is insane. Yanks it, puts it on his shoulders, and walks to a mountain in Hebron. I want you to know something. Gaza to Hebron is 40 miles. 40 miles. So the man puts it on his back, walks 40 miles, and finds the highest hill he can find in Hebron, Hebron being one of the tallest places in southern Israel. This dude's hilarious. You just gotta, you gotta picture this for a second. Of all the places he could take it, he could have taken it off the gates and just thrown it in the sea, and that would have been hilarious. No, he says, I'm gonna go as far and as high as I can go. Good luck getting this back. Some, some commentators even say that, that gate stayed there in Hebron for, for centuries because they're like, right, we're just gonna build a new one. We're never gonna get that thing back down. He yanks it, carries it uphill. We're going from sea level to 3,000, above 3,000 feet sea level. This is insane. <laughs> Amazing. One of his coolest feats. And God does it. He does this again to prove his strength, but also to begin to finish this story where he is looking for an opportunity to free his people from the Philistines. The Philistines are absolutely sick of Samson. He has single-handedly terrified them all. To which causes them to come and do this thing that we see for the middle of the story. They come offering her 1,100 pieces of silver apiece. I want you to understand something. If you go to the very next chapter where we're going to be next week, Micah pays a priest to hang out with him for a year for 10 pieces of silver. 10. And the man's like, that's pretty good. She's getting 1,100 for one of the five lords, she's going to get 5,500 pieces of silver. She's going to be a billionaire overnight. Yeah, she was inspired to seduce Samson. Let's just say she was inspired. Now, Samson's got his own crazy reason for doing what he does. But she, we know why she's doing what she's doing. Here in the Valley of Sorek, it says, that means the Valley of Choice Vines. Know this, man. Samson is hanging out in one of the most beautiful places in the nation. There's, there's vines. There's apparently beautiful rivers. Apparently beautiful women. He's in a great place. And he has no acknowledgement of the Lord yet. And he falls in love with another Philistine woman. He cannot seem to, he cannot seem to follow God or follow the people of God. He's got his own thing going on. He tells her his whole heart. He did not, in verse 20, I think the tr most troubling passage in the whole scripture is that he did not know the Lord had left him. He didn't know. Which means all of this time he has been thinking and, and with growing knowledge that I'm doing this myself. I, I can do this. I, Samson, can do this. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that, my friends, where you've had enough success to where you think, you know what, I'm, a pretty, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at what I do. It's okay to have confidence, but pride is a dangerous place. God wants you to be confident. In fact, he's fully equipped you and fully suited you to do exactly what he's designed you to do, but understand who gave the gifts. When we get to the point where we go, oh, I think I'm pretty gifted. I think I'm, you know what, I'm a big deal. Here's where Samson's at, and he does not, he no longer has any awareness that God is with him or without him. He can't tell the difference. My friend, if you're a believer today, if you're walking in the building today and Christ is yours, you're a follower of Jesus, understand the Lord will never leave you. But there is something that is true. We can never break the relationship we have with Christ Jesus. That is, that is sealed in the Holy Spirit. It is sealed because of what he did, not what we did. 
The relationship is intact, but you, here's what you can do. You can break fellowship. You can break fellowship with God. Where he feels distant, that's, that's not because God is no longer your God and you're no longer saved. That's not true. What is true is he's up there going, can we talk about what you just did? Can, can we talk about this, this pattern of sin you have in your life? Can, or maybe it's not that. Can we talk about the fact that you never come back to the table anymore? I've been putting food out every night and you never come. Every morning I put it out and you don't come to the table. And you feel distant. Yeah, you can break the fellowship. And here's what I know to be true, Christian. I know it for, for myself. You do this long enough and you can't tell whether the Lord is with you or not. You can't tell. I would argue, though, you really know in your heart of hearts, I'm not in fellowship with Christ right now. I know it. I can feel it. I can tell by my, my, my self-destructive thinking. I can tell by the things I want to do that I'm not following after his will. And it's because I've lost community. It's not because he loves me less or because, not because I've done something so great that the cross wasn't enough. None of that's true. However, we can feel that distance. Samson, though, in an even more extreme way, the Holy Spirit of God has now left him, which is the nature of how the Holy Spirit deals with people in the Old Testament. Prior to the giving of the Holy Spirit by Christ after his death, after his resurrection, prior to that, the Spirit has a tendency to come and go. This is, I know this must be true because David talks about this many times in the Psalms. He says, God, he prays, do not let your Spirit depart from me. It's one of his main prayers. We should be praying a similar thing in that. Lord, be close to me. Draw near to me. Walk with me today. That should be a constant prayer. We should never tire of such a prayer. God is faithful. God is faithful to always show up in that prayer. God has blessed Samson with great strength, but he had to humble him so that Samson would finally remember. Psalm 138, it says, Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, and he keeps his distance from the proud. God is always faithful. Look what it says in Lamentations. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. He's faithful. We have, a, we have a geyser out in Yellowstone that we call Old Faithful, right? I couldn't help but think of this as I'm thinking about the faithfulness of God. And this came to my mind for some reason, so I'm hoping it was from the Spirit. But it inspired me to kind of consider again. This is a geyser they discovered out in Yellowstone, out in Wyoming. They discovered it in 1870. And they called it, at least they called it the Old Faithful back, back long ago in 1870. And the reason they called it that is because it is the only geyser among around five, there's around 500 geysers in Yellowstone, which is impressive because there's only like a thousand around the world. I mean, a great many of them are in Wyoming. It's amazing. But there was only one called Old Faithful, and that's because it's predictable. It's faithful. It's consistent. People can come, you can go now, you can go right now, and you'll get, it'll take you a little while to get there. But every 60 to 90 minutes, that thing is going to fire off like 9,000 gallons of boiling water over 100 feet into the air. It's cool. God just does cool things, right? Creation itself is just God showing off. But here's what he's done. He's created this wonderful thing that people come for miles and miles to see, and that's why we call it Old Faithful. I've got a question for you, though. If no one goes to watch it erupt, does it still erupt? That's that old like philosophical weird. If a tree falls in the forest, does, and does it make a sound? Yes, it makes a sound, you bunch of weirdos. That's such a weird philosophical question. Yes, it makes a sound because it makes a sound unto itself. Like You don't have to hear it for it to make a sound. But anyway, this geyser still erupts faithfully. Every 60 to 90 minutes. And just because you're not observing it does not mean it's not still erupting. And this is the God we serve, my friends. He is faithful. The Bible calls him that often. But you go, well, I haven't heard much from him in a while. I don't know what he's doing in my life. Just because you can't observe it doesn't mean he's not erupting every 60 to 90 minutes. Doesn't mean he's not been faithful all along. And maybe if you'll walk the course, maybe if you'll seek his face, maybe if, if you'll get serious about, okay, God, I don't know why I'm feeling a distance in our fellowship. Let's solve this. Help me understand it. Maybe in that I'll finally go, wait a minute. Look where he's been faithful. I thought when I lost that job, it was the worst. No, he was faithful because I didn't need to be there. No, he was faithful to Samson, as scary as it might be to blind that man. That man that could not stop the lust of the eyes. He could not overcome it. 
He has all three of the problems that John speaks of in 1 John. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That is Samson in a nutshell. And God said, I love you enough to humble you. That's how much I love you. It's going to hurt. But I love you more than that. And you know what? You know what happens as a result? I'm going to read this later in Hebrews, but he's put in the, in the faith hall of fame. Samson. And it all, I think, happens at the end of his life. Even when we are unfaithful, God is always faithful. We're like Samson. Here's the next thing he prays, and it reveals something about God. It reveals that God gives his strength. He gives his strength even to those who have misused it, even to those who have been unfaithful. He gives his strength. That's what Samson prays. Remember me. Please strengthen me. The word strength is one of those like main features of this text. In fact, you can look through the text once more and it appears in there eight times. Strength, power, might. And Samson, for almost the entire chapter, does not realize where his strength comes from. The Philistines don't get it either. They're like, hey, seduce him, bind him up, and find out where his great strength is coming from. They're believing it's something magical. You've got to understand the people of this day. They, they think that anything supernatural is coming from some false god or some weird incantation they're doing. Maybe Samson is doing some kind of sacrifice we don't know about. Maybe we can duplicate this thing. This is most likely what's going through their heads. What god is he worshiping? We worship him too so we can have this superhuman strength. Figure out where in the world Samson's getting his power. Unfortunately, Samson doesn't himself seem to know where. He's forgotten. But finally, in the end, he says, please, God, strengthen me. I get it now. I get it. It was never me. It was ne- you know what? It wasn't even the Nazarite vow, my friends. It wasn't that he did everything right or that he did everything wrong. This is a hard thing to understand, I know. This is a hard thing for us Christians to deal with. Because there's a problem on both sides of the ditch. There's, there's a ditch on both sides of the road, I should say. There's... There's licentiousness, which Samson does. I don't care about my Nazarite veil. I I don't care what God's doing. I care that I'm really strong. I like women. I like blowing stuff up. I do what I do. I do what's right in my own eyes. He's over here. And for some reason, the Lord is still faithful in a lot of these great feats to to a point. But then there's this other ditch we get in. And we're like the brother of the prodigal son. But God, I did everything right. I'm perfect. I didn't break any of your laws, God. That's not the road either. Because that road is pride. That road says, I've done enough. That ditch says, I'm good enough. I don't even need a Savior. That's how good I am. These two places. Samson finally gets on the middle road. And realizes the faithfulness is God's. The strength is His. And I just want to walk with you, Lord. I just, I just want to know, God, will you show up and avenge? Now, he says something strange. He says, avenge me. But in a sense, God is still being faithful in that because that was always God's plan to work through Samson in that way. New, fresh bowstrings. He's got these four crazy riddles that he's playing with this woman with. Fresh bowstrings. This, this will be something strong enough to pull the pressure of shooting an arrow. And I guess before they were dried, they were even harder to break. I would think not only would that be difficult to break, it would be sharp because this is a thinner thread. So, you know, breaking a rope is a feat of its own, but breaking something that's thin and kind of sharp, that would be tough. Like breaking fishing line, like a bunch of it wrapped, that would hurt. He's just like, no problem. God shows up. New ropes, no problem. God still shows up even though he's prideful and he's a mess. And then he's kind of goofing off. I think the third test is where he goes, I, I think this power really is mine. Because he says, hey, weave my hair together. Okay, now we're getting close to some problems. This is close to my vow. Wait a minute, I still had power even when she wove my head into a loom and I'm, I'm over here just snoring as she's weaving my head into a fabric maker. That's weird. Dude's a deep sleeper for real. And this pops up, no problem. So he's thinking this final one, okay. I always thought this story was really strange. Why would Samson go through this? But... I think the reason being is he's really convinced that he can do whatever. He's convinced in his power. And he's wrong. So he was seized. His eyes are gouged out. He was bound. And finally, he sees where his strength comes from. I want you to understand this. I've made this point already, but 
Let me drive it home. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look what James writes in James chapter 4. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter laughter and gloom instead of joy. So humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. I think He'll lift you up in honor. This This is one of the better passages. If you're having difficulty in your prayer life, which I have historically trouble with, this one is one of those places I come back to and go, come close to God and He will come close to you. All right, am I doing that? Not enough. Let me get in your presence again, God. Okay, let me wash my hands. God, is there something between us that I've done that you're ashamed of? Maybe I'm not even thinking of it. You know what the Lord likes to do to me in moments like that? Maybe, I don't, maybe I'm weird. He'll bring something up from when I was like 16. And I'm like, are you serious? Are we really thinking about that right now, God? Okay. okay. I don't, I, maybe I didn't repent of that. I am sorry that I said that to such and such at 17 years old. That was awful, I know. But I thought we'd forgotten about that. He does stuff like that to me. Because he doesn't want to leave anything, any rock unturned. He's working on every little component of my life. And if I would get serious about drawing near and washing my filthy hands and humbling myself before him, then he starts to actually heal me of some things I've been hanging on to. I didn't even know they were a problem. Wow, that was underneath there doing damage. He gives strength. We do not have to fear then. Because God promises to strengthen us, especially in our weakness. Isaiah 41, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I think God has painted this picture throughout the fabric of life that we would understand it's by our weakness that He is strong. It's not human strength that ever saved us. It's not human strength that ever made us great. It's not human strength that caused Him to give grace. It was His love, His power, His faithfulness. It's the character of God. That's why we're loved. Not not because we did something great. It's his strength. And he's painted this throughout the fabric of life. This is why this amazing thing occurs when you go out and you go running. Or you go to the gym and you just rep something heavy. Just, I recommend this. Go lift something heavy today. I mean, whatever. Something, if you're feeling kind of concerned about uh, something breaking, do it carefully. All right? But go lift something heavy. And afterwards, you like, oh, man, everything hurts. I went, I took my son to the gym the other day. We did legs. The boy hadn't done legs in a, like ever, I don't think, I guess. And uh, he's so strong, that boy, wow. Um, no sarcasm there. It's so strong, that kid. Um, and we're deadlifting. We're going to muscle failure. We're muscle failing everything down there. Like, I'm, I'm coming out of the gym going, like, there's a stair coming down the Y, too, and you're doing one of those, oh, my gosh, please help me. Like, you're actually praying in those moments. But this is where God has weaved this weakness to strength thing, like even into the way we grow. Because do you know how muscles grow? They have to be torn down first. In order for muscle fibers to duplicate and get stronger, you got to break them. you got to tear them down. It's in your very weakening that you're strong. And it doesn't happen in the moment. Do you know when it happens? When you rest. I love God so much. I love how he's weaved his truths into everything. That, okay, in my weakness, then I can be strong. When I rest in Christ, then I can be strengthened. He is painting this idea that it's His strength, even in the way my body operates. It happens when I rest in Him. This is how spiritual strength occurs too, my friend. No matter what you're going through, no matter what hardships you're facing, your strength comes when you rest in Jesus. True. That's just true. Samson had to lose his strength in order to finally see He had to lose everything in order to recognize its source. This is why Jesus, or why the Lord says also to Paul, He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's made perfect there. To which Paul responds, When I am weak, then I am strong. Are you you too full today to be filled? 
Have you shown up to church today and I'm doing, Jonathan, I'm so strong. I'm too strong to be weak before God. I'm too strong for God to strengthen me. What can he strengthen? I'm too good in all myself. I'm over here in this ditch. I'm so full. How would he ever dump more into me? Now, there's a really happy place to be over here where you know I've messed up a lot. And I've got, I'm about half, I'm about half empty, Lord. I'm about, I'm about all empty, Lord. Fill me. That's a better place where God can pour out. Where you go, you know what? I've got some stuff that I can't fix. I don't know what to do with my blind eyes. I don't, I don't know how to escape this prison. I, you fill in the blanks for yourself. I don't know what I'm going to do about this addiction. I don't know what I'm going to do about this horrible place I've got myself in. That God can strengthen the humble. God can strengthen when someone's not that strong. Admit your weakness. Admit your need. I believe above all other things, that's why Christianity is such a stumbling block to so many people because you have to come and say, I'm not enough. You have to come before him and say, I cannot save myself. I have to have a savior. But it's true. Here's the third and final revelation of God here to Samson. I got a scoot. Boy, I got excited. He offers his salvation. He offers his salvation. To me, this is one of the coolest things that happens through the life of Samson is just how well it puts Jesus on display. He says, he prays this final thing. Hey, let me be avenged before the Philistines. Let me die with him, he prays. This sounds kind of wild here at the end, but this is, remember that this is what God has been promising to Israel is that I'm going to begin to save my people. And it's before this terrible false god named Dagon. I like to call him Dagon. Y'all do what you want. That Dagon, Dagon. He, he's this seafaring merman fish god that they're worshiping because they're a, they're a seafaring people. I think all of these peoples have gods that, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something demonic underneath that. I've often wondered because there's so many of them that are similar in every culture. You've got like the, the god Poseidon, the god of the sea. You've got this fish god Dagon, the god of the sea. It's like there's something spiritually dark going on there. And here, this false god, they're worshiping. Hey, he gave us Samson. We, they, don't, they certainly don't recognize that it was God who just lifted his hand for a moment and said, all right, Samson, you've gone too far. No, they think Dagon did it. Samson's coming out to entertain them. He's been poor guy down there just walking in a circle, blind, holding on to this thing, and working the mill. Awful place he's been living. They bring him out. And I guess they're like moving him around so he looks funny. He's finally, he's like, just help me, help me rest against these pillars. And it was in that moment that God gives salvation to the people. Do you know what happens after Samson here? The people are never able to just settle under Philistine rule again. Because God has created such enmity between Israel and Philistine that they never again have that type of relationship. God will not allow you to serve two gods. He won't. He won't do it. And so he tells the people of Israel, I'm going to begin to save you, and you don't know what that means, but you're going to see. He saves them. And here, this picture is just too, it's too good. It's too good. And it's too much like the cross for me to not say that, the, that, that God was clearly painting a picture here. He's putting a, a hand here, a hand here, and it, the Bible says he bows his head and gives up his spirit as he pushes these things. Let me die with him. Smash! And takes the whole, the whole thing down on probably, it's at least 3,000 people we know, but it's a lot more. And all of the lords of the Philistines are there. In one fell swoop, he knocks out the entire leadership of the enemy. The whole. Wow. And the Bible records that clearly. He did more in his end than he ever did in his life. And his people, they come and they bury him. They come and gather the body and take him to the tomb of Manoah. But the Sam, Samson's victory is such a clear picture of God's ultimate salvation. Let me just let me throw this your way. This, this was amazing as I looked at this, this, this week. I'd never thought of Samson this week. Here's some things that are true about Samson. His birth is announced by an angel. Sounds familiar? His miraculous birth comes to a barren woman. When we know with Jesus, it comes to a virgin woman. Very similar. He's called and empowered to save his people before his birth. He's empowered by the Spirit from his birth on. He's rejected from his own brethren, as we saw the people of Judah are rejecting him. Sounds familiar. He's betrayed by one he loves for silver. He's bound, tortured, mocked, and ridiculed. 
He stretched out his hands to win a victory by his death. The very words, I just want to remind you of this. This is in John chapter 19. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Those words are purposeful. It's exactly what you see out of Samson. And then last, but certainly not least, it's not with an army. It's not with some great military victory. No, it's by himself and by his own death that Samson saves Israel. He begins to save Israel and it's by his death that Jesus saved us all. What wonderful thing God is doing here, painting a picture of how he would rescue us and how he is already rescuing Israel. It is by one death, the death of one righteous man, Jesus Christ, and faith in him that we are saved. Romans 5, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Believer, you can have confidence today that he has set you free. He has been painting the picture throughout history. Weaved it into the very fabric of our existence. For all the many great feats of Samson, his greatest feat comes in his death. And for all the many, praise God, all the many miracles of Jesus that point so clearly to the fact that he's the son of God, his greatest miracle is that he saved us <laughs> thousands of years later that we would believe and be in a place like this. The idea of church is just complete insanity if it weren't for the resurrection. That we would gather together and sing these songs to a God we don't know unless, unless Christ died and rose again. What wonderful news. What a wonderful picture. My friends, God is faithful. He is the one who gives you strength. And he has given you salvation again and again. Not just once at your point of conversion, but daily. His grace is given. And I want to end with this thought with Samson. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Made strong out of weakness. How about you? <laughs> Will you admit your need for God today? Put aside... <laughs> Pride, put aside this ditch, if this is where you are, or even this ditch, this is where you find yourself. Do you know that you need him because he's faithful, he's strong, and he's saved? Will you say along with me, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us in spite of who we've been. Even in spite of who we sometimes are now, that God you still love. That despite Samson, this story today that we we're looking at, we 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 see so clearly that this man's not following you. He's not he's not thinking about you. He's certainly not in community with you, and yet you're still faithful to your promise, both to his parents and to your people, in spite of his brokenness. And then you're even faithful to Samson when he goes through incredible pain and finally comes around and sees you for the first time. You're faithful to him. That's such a story of salvation for me, God. I'm so thankful for who you are to me because I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your love. I certainly don't deserve that you came and you died on the cross for my sake. I didn't deserve that. I'm a mess just like your people here. Just like your people in this world, God, are far from you. And even when we had no awareness that we needed saving, even when we were just living as whatever, whatever was right in our own eyes, you still did it. That's your love. That's your calculated, committed kind of love. And you planned it from the beginning. I'm so thankful for who you are to us, Lord. And I'm asking today, I'm asking that you would continue 
to draw us near. We're, we're, we're a difficult people. I would love to say that we're so different from the Israelites, and maybe to some degree we are because of the Holy Spirit of God. You're very gift to us, but in so many ways we're like them. We go about life in our own direction. We forget about you for, for weeks, seasons of life even. God, I pray you would draw us near. Humble us if we require it, Lord. Help us when we're in prosperity, Lord, to not forget you. That outward gains would not cause us to stray. And that inward losses, that, in, that outward losses would cause us indeed to grow in our faith and depend on you more because whatever you're doing, Lord, I, I want to learn. I want to know where you're leading. Help us as your church to be that way. My friend, if you've come here today, and you've not yet said yes to this Jesus who offers freely his salvation to you. What are you waiting on? There's, there's no reason to wait. There's, there's no point in it because he's already offering life to you now. That why, why would you reject life and continue to live in darkness? There's no reason for that. Would you say along with me this simple prayer of confession? As, as the word of God says in Romans chapter 10, he who confesses that Jesus is Lord will be saved. When they believe that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. And we believe that as a church. If that's you today, pray this with me. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And what that means to me is that you are in charge. You are on the throne. You are my king. And God, I, I desire to devote my life to you. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. And these truths give me unbelievable hope for the future knowing that the things I've done wrong the things I'm ashamed of the things I know I'm guilty of Lord you've already paid for them thank you for that and thank you for overcoming the grave so that I don't have to fear death any longer I know eternal life is in your hands thank you for saving me Lord Jesus and we pray right along with you my friend all believers in the room, we're praying, God, show up in a mighty way in our life. Help us to not be distant from you any longer. Put aside our pride. If that's where we struggle, Lord, I don't want to be strong in front of you anymore. I know I need you. I know des how desperate my soul is for you. Like the psalmist says, my soul is panting. It's in desperate need. It's thirsty. It's hungry. Help me. Show up in a mighty way this week. I want to hear from you. God, do that in, in, your, in the lives of your believers right now. In this church, this week. Show up in a way. Let us see you. Let us hear from you. Guide us in our, in our workplaces, in our families. Reach those around us through your wonderful gospel. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.